Welcome to episode 206 of Canada's Pinball Podcast. I'm your host, Canada. Happy Sunday, everybody. Uh, on this episode, I'm going to air an interview I did with the Black Knight. Uh, we always enjoy talking to Chris about his take in pinball. I'm going to say this. The, the interview we do, we sort of cover a lot of things going on in the pinball hobby, everything from Deep Root to American Pinball to Stern to, to Dutch to Highway. And I want to say this before I air the interview. I know on this podcast, we, we go in-depth on these companies that 99% of the world doesn't even know exist, okay? And we're all very passionate about the hobby. Now, I want to say nothing we say and nothing we speculate on or nothing we articulate uh, is personal, all right? We are looking at this hobby from somewhat of hopefully an objective viewpoint, but look, we're not, we're not, we don't have any personal vendettas or grudges against anybody out there. All I want on this podcast, all Chris wants, and I know all of what you want, are people to just get the games that they pay for and for companies to just own up to the things they say and for companies to deliver what they promise. And that's it. That's it. It's not a personal attack if we sort of say things that are not uber positive about companies. Um, so much so that after we recorded, I actually reached out to Robert Mueller at Deep Root, and I asked if we could sort of just maybe grab a drink or talk at TPF. So hopefully we can make that happen because, look, I, I know that there's a lot of skepticism going on with a lot of these new manufacturers. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, for these gentlemen who are trying to make things right, uh, Let's see how things pan out. I, I, I really think that if you're in on the games that John never delivered, this is your best chance. Um, I probably wouldn't have said some of the bolder claims that they're making. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And again, I look forward to seeing what develops. And as I told Robert, I will happily buy the Deep Root games when they come out, if they come out. And that's it. Nothing else I can do. Nothing's personal. I, I don't know the man. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of people who have tried to make pinball work, some have succeeded, some have failed. And every new venture, you know, I think customers will line up if those ventures succeed. All right, I don't want this podcast to be a three-hour endeavor. It's a little bit over an hour, the interview. I think it's great. I think you'll enjoy it. I have to give you a heads up that I did have a few drinks. It was Friday night. I saw the Black Panther. I thought the movie was great. I went out, had some Mexican, some Mexican beer and some guacamole, uh, and then I interviewed Chris. But I think it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I think you'll enjoy it. I think we, um, we cover a lot. And I look forward to hearing your feedback at canadapinball at gmail.com. Without any more delay, here is the Black Knight. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome back to Canada's Pinball Podcast, probably my favorite guest in the entire world, the Black Knight, Christopher Thompson. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I guess we're going to have some type of jousting tournament tonight. We, we, this is, we are. This is sort of like... I grabbed a beer. I've had a few drinks, but I'm going to be honest. I'm okay. We can do this. Okay. We're going to make yeah, it through I drink, it. I don't drink that much, so you're ahead of me, so go All ahead. Right. All right. So I asked you to come back on the show for one reason and one reason only, and I asked you, you know what? Let's talk about Deep Root, and I want to talk about the chances of a new company actually delivering on the promise of making a company that Stern should be concerned about. Where do we start with this? this okay, notion? well, 
I, I'm going to look at it, you know, like I said, you're the marketing guy, but I can, I can express some areas that people would be interested in when you're in terms of developing a company. And I've been a project manager. I've been a production manager. I've been a contractor and all these areas, you know, we have, they have some of the base fundamentals to be able to establish a company. Obviously with the first thing that you've got to have is you've got to have an investor and they have a group of investors, but money is not the catch-all that solves the problem. Okay, so if, if that, but that is very critical because if you don't have that, you can't move forward. Right. So they've got that. The next step that they've formed forward, which you mentioned, was building a team. Now, they've built together a large group of individuals, all which are talented in various areas of pinball development, design, and production. But one thing that has not been mentioned is what I call the synergy of the development of being able to bring this group of individuals together into a cohesive team. And that, just because you have the talent, doesn't mean that you can still make it work. And right. that's pretty important because a lot of the individuals, and many of which I know, um, are all gifted. But who is truly taking the lead out of that group of individuals to be able to develop these games. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I as far as Mr. Mueller, Mueller and his team, they're very talented in regards to being able to make money. They're very talented in being able to work with other companies. But it's a completely different nature when you start to say, okay, we're going to have a company of our own. Right. And so, so, Chris, when you saw the photo of the Deep Root team with, you know, John Papadou, Barry O, John Norris, Dennis Norman. Who's actually in the lead? Who's 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 controlling all these people? Well, that that's the thing. I mean, it looked like they were having a lunch break to me. <laughs> I, mean, it, I I I can't I can't determine from that individual one single photo any individual that stands out in my mind that would want to take the lead from the standpoint of being able to be the organizer of this company. That's the difference. I mean, I see the talent there. Right. I, I it isn't John Poop Dyack. We we know that. Okay. He is not a guy in the history of pinball that has been able to accomplish anything alone. He never had he never did in Valley and Williams. He was always propped up by other people. The team of engineers and developed people, many of the people that are since then long gone or moved on to other industries or subsidized, um, were behind the scenes doing a lot of the work to make, for example, his mechanisms function. Right. Um, good examples of that, of course, would be um, Circus Voltaire with the high wire, which still had problems. A little, little known fact, when Circus Voltaire was released to the public, it had at least four iterations of service boltons and additional add-on parts in order to make the game work properly because even after the overhaul uh, that they had in the rush, it was still a rush job. Right. And and it still required additional work in order to be somewhat reliable in the long term for operators. So I don't see it yet. I and and we And we haven't even scratched the surface about aspects of construction, design, uh, we can talk about that. 
yeah, production, let, let, contracting. Let's talk about that because Robert Mueller keeps saying they have this distribution models. They have this thing. Big... They have they have this thing called quad manufacturing that is going to make. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. What is it? It doesn't exist. But what do you think that means? What's quad manufacturing? Well, quad manufacturing, from my standpoint, it's it's a process model, and what that means is that they're they have some type of process model. And I'm looking at this from an as an engineer. So, it for me, what it tells me is they're using it as a process model. It's a it's a buzzword that they labeled to show how they would develop and this is i'm going to take a, a good guesstimate here based on an engineer here so if somebody wants to stick my name to the wall and say well the black knight said this but when i think a quad manufacturing model what that tells me is okay they have materials they have the design they have the facilities they have you know their contracting and then of course they have their distribution model and i think most of that has to fall within the construction period of how they actually build games within their 25,000 or so square foot facility, which in and itself isn't particularly large, but if they're able to, if it's based on some form of efficiency in order to take the parts that they have that from the contractors and within their build model of the actual games, you know, because I'm, I'm here to tell you from experience and we're talking, you know, close to 30 years that a lot of parts that are made for pinball machines haven't really changed since the 1940s. Right. But 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 Chris, they said they could do as much in 25,000 square feet as Stern could do in 100,000 square feet. So what well, that, like, what does that, that mean? They are obviously storing their parts in an offhand facility because you can't okay. do that. So they're going to contract manufacture Right, they have to because they can't be storing all their parts and being able to build games and store games and provide shipment in 25,000 square feet easily because everything's going to be clustered. It's going to be claustrophobic. Right. Because at 25,000 square feet, that's easy to eat up just for a production facility alone of an assembly line. Okay. Just that. And and that doesn't even consider, okay, where are we going to put these completed parts in order to, you know, because remember, like, for example, when you build cabinets, right, you build play fields, those are two separate entities, and then they're combined. Right. They're not, they're, they're integrated at the end, but they're not integrated during the construction process. So let me ask you just a very basic question, Chris. When you heard about Deep Root, what was the first thing that went through your mind when you heard all their plans? Well, I mean, I think I had mentioned a little bit about that, and then my, and I'm not to sound poo-pooish, I guess would be use other. If you do, words. if you do poo-poo, you will not get your goodwill offer on your Zidware well, I'm, games. I'm not particularly concerned about that since obviously <laughs> I I wasn't a part of the original process because, in my opinion, I was way too smart to invest into a company of that sort as early as 2011. Right. But but. My concern, the answer to your question is, I, I was highly skeptical, skeptical to, to say the least, but it, it bothers me to no end that a Johnny-come-lately, such as Deep Root, that's trying to do a cash-in on a craze that is called pinball, because, you know, like they saw the revival, they saw 
the interest in the boutique nature, which is what generated the original interest all the way back into the you know early 2010, 2011. That I mean, that's when they got initially involved, even before they started to develop plans, and that didn't occur until around 2013. But you know. For people that are around the hobby, we're, I'm not saying it, you know, it, and I, I listened to your last podcast, and I, I don't feel that I'm a controlling entity in trying to force or squeeze, you know, the way that pinball works in this world, because you know my opinion is I think everybody should have a pinball in their house. So in that respect, Deep, deep Roots' opinions in terms of their perspective is a positive. But right. as far right. as way that they've gone about doing it, and I mean, I'm I'm not impressed with their big words. If that's what you want to okay, know. Okay, so so Chris, when they say that, it, it's going to be hard for Stern, who has ninety plus percent of the market, to compete with them. When you hear well, something like that, like what do you what, that's, like, that's, like? How do you react? I'm sorry, but you know, when when you look at the numbers on the basis of production and their distribution model alone. I got to give credit back to Stern. I, I mean, if I was Stern, I wouldn't be particularly concerned. If I was George Gomez right now, I wouldn't be particularly they concerned. They haven't made one game, Chris. One game. And they're telling. That's true. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. They're they, telling. They, have, they don't have a distribution model. They don't have a game to distribute. So I wouldn't be totally concerned that they're going to overtake the market. Because one of the things that I mentioned to somebody else, and we can get into this with the distribution model aspect, is it seems to me, based on indications from what I've read and what I've seen, that they're trying to use a third-party heavy hitter commerce supplier, similar to what Stern tried to do with Costco, as a main angle to try to develop a third-party distribution model whether that's with Target or Walmart or whoever they might be in order to provide as an outlet because they're trying to say that they want to be able to distribute these games to a wider audience. Who the fuck goes into a Target and is like, you know what, I need I, I need some Coca-Cola and some freaking diapers, but let, me, just, let me pick up a pinball machine while I'm at it for freaking well, $6,000. One, one of the biggest problems with that and that it, it's because of the complexity of pinball, and this is important for your listeners, is that un, when, when Stern attempted to do the Costco route, one of the biggest problems other than you know Costco's policy of being able to return basically anything was the fact that these are complex devices that, unlike a television set, are probably more prone to having issues, even if it's a simplized home version game. And as a result... That problem in itself it caused catastrophic issues within Costco and then, of course, caused them to backpedal and say, we don't want to deal with this anymore because they are prone to breaking down. We know that pinball, as an archaic device as it may be, is not going to remain 100% you know, working, functional all the time without basic maintenance, just like right. a coal. So that is a difficult model to sell. And then looking at what you were saying with their already, say, Stern's already existing distribution model. Remember, all these other companies that are presently have built games had problems, including Jersey Jack Pinball, especially when he got started, 
to try to develop some form of a distributor model and trying to break in with people that would be willing to sell their games. That was not a new issue, and it will not change because Stern is very vehement on maintaining that distribution model, which is their lifeblood. Right. So, Chris, do you think that American – or not American pinball. Do you think Deep Root can actually solve the issues of Magic Girl and make it a working pin? Well, I think that if, they, if you're talking about the clock already ticking – Right. Based on when when are they supposed to be releasing their first game? The by June of June thirtieth of twenty nineteen. I mean, we're already moving into the later part or the the spring of two thousand eighteen. It's like eighteen months from now. Is it possible that they can do a redesign? Yes. I mean, American Pinball showed that they could do it with Houdini. If they have the power, they have the crew. Like I said, they have these the designers, they have engineers, they have software providers. They have the capability from the standpoint of personnel right. to do it. But once again, do they have a production facility? Do they have contracts in place? Because as that window, it's going to take at least six to eight months minimum to do a redesign of that game with a full court press in order to make it to be a functional sample. Right. Okay. And now, okay, so that first eight months is gone. So, I, I mean, I'm looking at this as an engineer. Right. So they, they've got this baseline sample, but they don't have any contracts in place for purposes. Now, granted, if they're multitasking as they should be, then they should be working all this simultaneously. But they can't place orders for parts unless they have a finalized product to be able to produce. There's no way they have a finalized Magigirl working right now. No way. I, I would say it would take closer to a year based on the design. of I mean, you know, anybody that's looked closely at not just that pinball design, but any complex design. Because Magigirl as a whole, based on its you know, assemblies and based on what components either are in the game or should be in the game, not marring the the center mechanism, which I'm still not quite sure. How, how are they? So, but, but Chris, let's talk about the center mech. So, like, would are, do you think they're going to fix that? The the magna flip. I think center? they're. I think they're more likely to swap, scrap it, scrap it out. No, or change it. Okay. Because okay. Honestly, wait, 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 wait. You saying change it and me saying swap it is that a different thing or are yeah, we saying the I, same I thing? Yeah, I think it is because I think swapping it out with something it means you're requiring that something is already planned and existing. Okay, to be able but to you're saying that you're saying they're going to remove that magna. Flip. They have to do something with it to modify it. I mean, they it, it as as designed as it is, the throw is too high to vertical height and so on and so on. It's difficult to work. It's not reliable. It. it and it takes up that huge portion of that play field. It would be smarter to do something a little different. But I can't tell you what it is because I'm not sitting in front of it with an auto AutoCAD right. You know, right. designer okay. and saying, well, let's do this, let's but, do that. But, I mean, but, have, but Magic Girl is basically a game, Chris, where like every single mech has an issue. There's no, there's Correct. nothing in that game that works. Put it properly. Okay, but so you've got... The center mechanism, which which has which is supposed to have a, a, a middle magna flip area, and is supposed to shoot the ball up into a magnet grab sort of automatron 
area doesn't none of it works none of it works and then you have right. it has to be completely redesigned which is i mean it, and, it, and you think they're doing that right now you think they've figured it I all think out that, i think they've already started to try to figure it out i don't think they've got it figured out but i think that the, one of the one of the things that we haven't talked about that we need to back up one step. back up back up with me okay okay and the one thing that we haven't covered which is before any of the things that we've already talked about is they still have to get through the legalities and the issues that are outstanding with John P. Okay, so let's Lawyer talk about that. Let, let's talk they about the legalities. They have that. So how are they supposed to? I mean, this is not a. Let, uh, let's you know, shoot the messenger here. I yeah, mean, let, let's talk. They about haven't the, resolved a critical aspect of developing a game that they want to build because they still have legal issues and, and legality issues that haven't been resolved in the game they want to build. Exactly. And let's talk about that for a minute because I think that's important. I think I think Robert Mueller has tried to make yeah, the legal not. situation go away by saying, hey, if you're a plaintiff suing John Papaduke, you've got to give up your plaintiff status to get a game. But it's those people are not going away. Like, the... The legal situation surrounding Magigirl and Raza is not, like, it's not dissipating anytime soon. So, Chris, talk to me about that, because I think that's really... Well, I'm not a lawyer here, but I can explain it. I mean, if they, if they cannot resolve the legality issues, this has nothing to do with people that were pre-order buyers. We're talking about issues with the outstanding issues of, of IP rights on who owns these games. We're not talking about the artwork. We're talking about the game. Right. Okay. Right. So if they can't if they can't resolve that, then the only thing that they can do is hopefully they have multiple designs that aren't already IP'd on on the burner and then force fit something and push it forward and say, okay guys, you know, whether it's Dennis Norman or Barry Alser or whoever and say, okay. Because right now they did a whole lot of brainstorming. When I looked at that picture, that looked like people that were trying to brainstorm ideas. <laughs> and then you got people like Robert Mueller that, that say throwing their own good idea fairy in it and let's do Bible adventures or whatever they want to do. All right. But it's it, it if they don't get that out of the way first, there is no magic girl because you it's already been tried and it's still in conflict. Right. So so, like I said, I, I didn't want to forget about that because we jumped into all these other areas in regards to production, consignment, and distribution models. But, 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 but we Chris, didn't talk about the aspect Chris, that's here's the, most the thing. How do you how do you resolve this fact, right? And here's the thing I've been curious about. So the people who actually bought a Magic Girl, they paid sixteen thousand dollars for a game that they were guaranteed would only have no more than like 20 made. So right. how do you make those people whole? How do you make them whole? It's, called, make... not life, it's called life not being fair, Canada. Okay, that's what this is all about. It's about, when it comes to the aspects of Deep Root, it's about money. Can you make money off of a product? They, they're trying to make money off, in the case of Magic Girl specifically, as well as the other two titles, Alice let's, in Wonderland. Let's think on Magic Girl. So, like, you're a magical buyer, and you went in, and you paid $16,000 for Magic Girl. You can't be made whole. You, you, will, you will never, never be, be made, made whole. Because it, it's, from their aspect, that's a mute point. It is. 
you're, you're no longer, if they're available to the masses, the only reason they got involved in this project to start with is for the same reason that you just stated. They saw an opportunity to make money off of a niche product that was making huge potential amounts of return. But why would, they, but why would they start there? Because they thought that it would be the easiest based on an existing design that was already there. But they didn't understand that the project and the game itself didn't really work. But that's the thing. I don't it's think like, they did. Why start, I don't think they did. But why start building a company... In, in a toxic place like Zidware. Why? Be, well, obviously, the only you mentioned in your own book that, you, you know, John Pupadiak is, you know, one of it's these Papa greatest Duke. designers. Wait, Chris, you know I, it's Papa Duke, right? I always, I always say it's Pupadiak. Let's just Pupa say John Pupadiak. Pupadiak. <laughs> like, that sounds it, like it, a... It's kind of a joke. It's like a running joke, an old joke that John I John Pupadiak. <laughs> I like that actually better. It, there's a, it's a joke that goes with it, but it doesn't matter. The, the point is, John P., they saw from the aspects of history that he did design other games that were highly successful, and they were. Were for they? For the production. Were yeah. they successful? I mean, well, the Theater of Magic and, and Tales and Arabian Nights both were successful commercially. All right, but Circus they... Voltaire wasn't because bombed. of it was at the... It bombed because of the, it was at the tail end after... The, dist the distributor operator Fandango that happened with Williams. Right. That, that it was, it was at the, you know, because it came after Medieval Madness and they, it was after basically when operators are saying, you know, we're not going to buy your games until they go and close out and Williams retaliated. And, and, that, and, and the other factor was at that point that pinball was on the downslide because we're talking about the late 90s. But we're not talking about pure history. But honestly, I think. From the standpoint of Deep Root, why did they choose Magic Girl? Because they saw that as a target of opportunity. They said, well, this has the best potential to have the highest rate of return in regards to our efforts. Now, they didn't understand when they got involved that they had all these complexities with legality, you know, legal battles. And, and, they, and honestly, they're discovering, as every single company that's ever built a pinball machine for real in this entire history of pinball, that the, it, the steps that they're taking, they're going to have to learn the same lessons that every other other company has done for the last 90 years. And most of the time, they don't survive in the long haul. Maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years. There's people right now that don't believe that even Jersey Jack 10 years from now is going to be around. But that's not the point. The point is, is it... In, in building a company, and we can get back to your, you know, your baseline of what you wanted to discuss. What are the fundamentals of building a company? I just talked about it. You have to have investors. You've got to have a team. You've got to have somebody that is overarching the project management and is the lead. Who is that leader? It can't be just any, any designer. It has to be someone that has the ability to multitask, for example, like George Gomez, who has a lot of years of experience and had a lot of experience watching others do it before he did it. Right. Okay. okay? So He's what, not new at it. Okay. You have to have that, that person that has to be able to oversight and have that bigger picture. And it isn't about money. Okay. And then you have to have a separate team of individuals that back up that person, meaning the engineers, the software designers, and then you have another group of people that manage contracting. 
and you have another group of people that manage construction. And all these people have to work in concert. Now, do they have all this stuff together? No. <laughs> they don't. Right. Not yet. That doesn't mean that, that they won't. Right. Okay. But so, they've got a lot of work to do. Okay. So, Chris, so, like, let's let's close the door on Deeper tonight and say, like, do you oh. think they're going to successfully do what they said they're going to do? You mean it's, like, everything that they've actually I mean, let, let's just, do? like, do you think they're going to be able to make the, the Zidware games and get them out? And do you think I they're going to? I think gonna... they're going to be late, like every other production management of production games, because they've overestimated and they've set down a time period that may be unrealistic. But they the can't standpoint... be late because they said if they miss that delivery date of June thirtieth, twenty nineteen, they owe people money. But they said yeah, they owe. It's words. It, but... it, 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 I've heard that before. Doesn't change anything for me. Okay, so you think you're going to miss that date? I think they're going to miss the date, and I think they're going to miss it by months. But, I mean, whether they miss it by years is up to the diligence of the individuals that are in the company and how much money and effort they're willing to throw at it. Right. Now, they got deep pockets. So if they need to hire more people that are from outside the industry of pinball, they don't – remember, everybody that they have in their team, a lot of the people they have right now are, are, are centric to pinball. If they need to outsource with additional people – they could do that, and it isn't specific only to pinball. You can go back into industry, and you can find some of these people to manage these type of positions. But they need more people right now. Their team is not large enough, based on what I've seen so far, to be able to manage the entirety of what they want to accomplish within the time frame that they want. And I'm only saying that from the experience as a senior project manager and professional engineer for over 25 years. Okay, Chris, I missed your question. Would you go work for Deep Root if Robert called you up after hearing this podcast and said, dude... Well, I don't think he's going to hire me now. Why not? <laughs> well... You're not I, saying I, negative stuff. You're, 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 you're giving them advice on how to succeed. I've always been a realist when it comes to it. When I was in the Army serving in the Corps of Engineers, whether I was multiple, you know, doing multi-million dollar projects, I always had the bottom line in mind because right. I, it was my ass on the line, just like Mr. Mueller. It's his ass on the line. If he doesn't come through in my case, if a project was under the gun and we were either behind on schedule or we were over budget or any of that nature for some type of construction project, it was my butt right. that had to fix the problem because it didn't matter what the worker bees were doing. It okay. mattered what the actual managers were doing. Okay, but Chris, I'm asking you a question. Like, I'm trying not to avoid your question. If I mean, he asked answer. you, would you join my team to help me figure this out, what would you say? No, and I'll tell you why. why? It, has nothing to do, it has nothing to do with Deep Root. Okay. It has nothing to do if, – if Stern asked me the same question today, I would say no to them as well. And here's why. It's not because it's a niche industry. It's not because it's volatile. It's because of what I want in my life at this point. I was hired to work recently as a full-time pinball tech, okay, to do work on games. That means I'm not a manager anymore, Canada. I don't want to be a manager anymore. I don't have to be a so manager. So who hired you? Like, you can't just give an answer like that. Like, who hired you to be a full-time tech? It was Quarter World here in Portland. Okay. I'm so working you're... at they, – they, there's a special program that, that they were – but basically – 
it, the way it works for me is that I'm quote unquote technically in training <laughs> in a matter of speaking. Do you, do you need training? Uh, well, they're, they're, they're versatile. They're versatiling my skill set. Basically, what I mean by that is they're I'm going beyond what I know in areas that I am not as necessarily experiencing. For example, operator vending. I'm going to be working in areas outside of just the shop or the arcade, and working as not only just a field tech, but I'm going to be doing the full spectrum of operations as a coin operator technician, which is not something that I am used to doing because the last time I did it full time was about 20 years ago. So things have changed. So there's a certain measure of training required in this because that what they want to do, I'm not being trained to be an operator, okay? Because once again, if I was an operator, it means I'd be the manager. I'm, I'm you know, a worker bee. And that's what I prefer to be at this point. And that's the only reason if somebody asked me, would you like to be hired as a senior, you know, as a management personnel, I would say no. I don't need that kind of stress and I don't need that kind of income. I don't. Okay. I already have it for retirement. Okay. So I want to bet I, I just want a simpler life. I enjoy working on the machines. I like to make sure that they're the backlog, for example, is worked off and they have a inventory of games that are ready to go in case they have to swap something out on a route. That's okay. some of the work I'm doing. Okay. All right. Cool. Let me ask you a question. It answers my question. I, I get where you're at. Let's talk about Dutch pinball because we talked a lot about deep root. Right. So Dutch pinball. Oh boy. Is is over there now trying to make the big Lebowski in China. Yep. And they've told us that you know what? These guys don't know really how to make pinball machines, but they're ninety nine point nine percent there. What's your okay. thoughts on Dutch Pinball's ability to actually right. deliver the Big one Lebowski? Of, one, of, one of the fundamental problems that they have right now is, okay, so they have a potential redesign based on these new samples that they developed. You know, do they have these contracts in place? No, they do not. It's the same problem that we talked about with Deep Root. But one of the things that I'm curious about, and other, you know, Big Lebowski owners that were part of the original 50 should be concerned with too is what is the compatibility between the old game and the new game no compatibility. i don't know <laughs> i would say there's probably none and, and i would say that there's probably been a substantial amount of redesign with some of the aspects of the boards not necessarily with playfield parts and such the whole but board the are redesigned. they're all the, all the all the boards are redesigned well, then I guess that some people might be a shit up a crick unless they have a new operating system installed down the road but once again, if they have this system in place, we haven't talked about the fundamentals that we talked about with Deep Root, which the first fundamental beyond the aspects that we talked about with the legal aspect was money. Where is that money coming from? I don't know. I, I, I can't. I, it's hard for me to fathom at this point in four or five years later that they're relying on new buyers of the big Lebowski to finance this new project. <coughs> That's <coughs> very dangerous. Right. <coughs> and I, so in that respect, unless they Dude, found are you dying right now, it's, it's, get a no, drink, no. get a drink. I, I don't <laughs> I want you to die live on my podcast. No, no, no. I just said something in my throat. I, I have no pets, so I don't have any cat hair, or, you know, anything like that. So no, okay. it's so the bottom line with that is, is, Okay, so where is this money coming from? Where is I it? I don't know. 
I don't do know. they have new investors? They haven't talked about it. No, they don't. They clearly so if don't. they don't have new investors, did they take out personal loans, which, of course, would be in the tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, if they want to produce, say, 300 machines? But here's the thing with this <laughs> game. It's like, it's like there's no way they're going to be able to order the parts unless they get new money. Well, it's beyond that. You don't need just money. You need contacts. Have they have they established these contacts in China that are capable? Because if you go back to HomePin and you see the challenges, well, I, that I, I, I never go back to HomePin. So bring me back, <laughs> no, to Chris. I, honestly, take a glass of water right now because I'm not going to listen to you die on this well, podcast. If you give me about ten seconds. I'll, grab I'll give one. you ten seconds. Hold on, people. We're going to take a ten second break where we talk about the merits of head-to-head pinball and their almost three-hour podcast strategy. Why would you want to hear the news immediately when you could listen to -to head-to-head pinball every Monday for almost two and a half hours where we absolutely deliver the news late? Okay. All right. Okay, I'm back. Okay, Okay, he's back. He's back. Okay. All right. The reason I referenced HomePin and it, even though we're not talking about home band directly, it has relevance not only because of where the potential construction will go or occur, but the one thing that's important about that is the challenges that were faced in trying to build parts that they were not used to actually doing. Do you remember the, the whole lock bar situation? Yeah, they, 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 they literally had no manufacturer who could make a lock bar. <laughs> Right. So if you take that as simple as a lock bar and you expand that beyond um, just that aspect into electronics, there's no doubt that they can manufacture PCBs. Right. But if they're going to build entire games that require mechanical parts, then we're stepping into a new arena because they have to have the ability to do that tool and die in an expertise that doesn't really exist and never has, the challenges that were faced by HomePin were gigantic. And right now they still exist. So if the problems that were faced by HomePin in development of their first game, Thunderbirds, still exist for purposes of contracting and construction, what kind of bidding does that show for Dutch pinball? Think about it. Right. Same problems, but they're starting from scratch because it's not like HomePin's going to give them help. So do you, let me ask you a question. Do you think HomePin will be the part supplier for, for any of these other ventures? Like will HomePin supply? I think that that is a better venture than trying to build more pinball machines. So talk, so talk, so talk to me about that. Like, so who do you think HomePin could possibly supply parts parts to? Will it be Deep Stern? Will Stern? 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 Who? Why do they need help? They 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 they're always looking for additional sources of outsourcing. They don't limit. It, and now, granted, now it's from a competitor, which is one of the things that's kind of like, eh, we probably won't do that. But anyone that needs sources of parts if they already have established contracts or contractors without having to do some of that legwork. Remember, other companies 
even in the 80s and the 90s, even though they were competitors, they still worked together. Bally and Williams, even and even Gottlieb to a certain extent, you know, they all had to kind of share certain vendors of parts. Okay. Not everything was completely locked up like it is today because when Stern became the primo uno of construction after 1999 into 2000, they set apart a lot of work to shore up all those parts manufacturers so they couldn't have someone else come in and try to get inside their market, which is exactly the challenges that were first faced by Jersey Jack Pinball. Okay, but but okay, so but you are saying that you think Stern would buy parts from? No, I, I, I'm throwing it out there, but I'm saying that any company that would be starting out, they're not going to throw away sources or leads if something has already been established. I wouldn't. I never did that when I did contracting. Just because somebody else used them before doesn't mean that that maybe they're still a viable source again. I don't know that for sure right? because I'm not inside. I, I, once again, if you're talking about deep root or you're talking about Dutch, I don't really know how much work they've done in the aspects that I'm describing. I'm right. talking about experience that I have based on what I would do. Let me I, wouldn't, quick. I wouldn't eliminate right. it. Chris, let me ask you a question. Just like totally straight up. Sure. Do, do you think, Dutch pinball is gonna make it. No. Do you think in highway? Do you no. think highway pinball is gonna make it? No. In the long run, no. I don't think so because I think those two companies have been struggling and they continue to struggle. And for how long they're able to struggle, I I can't tell you that. But I think that their days are numbered, and it's predominantly because they never had a solid foundation to start from. What do you mean by that? Well, in the, case of, in the case of Dutch Pinball, they, they had a program that was in place, and of course they kind of exploded that with ARA, and that was their primary source, that was their producer, that was their production facility, that was their main go-to that was going to build their games. And when that went away, they'd had no backup plan. The right. same thing occurred with Highway. They, they're, everything they were doing, a lot of it they were doing in-house at least up to this point. And then they realized with the new investors that they had to outsource things because they couldn't do it all themselves because Andrew Highway tried to and failed. Right. Nobody at Jersey Jack Pinball, for example, or Spooky, is going to say that they're going to do everything on their own. They learned that lesson because Spooky tried because they obviously they built really small production runs. And now they're trying to expand that production run and by doing so they realized that they needed more help because right. they can't do it all themselves they can't well, stern well, doesn't do everything by themselves if they did i they'd have a production facility that was at least four times the size of its present warehouse well chris what do you think happens to the 40 games that ARA has built that are just sitting there. How do we there? even really know there's 40 games? Everybody says there were 40 games. But I don't know. Maybe there were 40 games of parts, but it was never finished. Maybe you, the parts are sitting in a corner. I mean, to my knowledge, nobody knows that those 40 games were truly built. Well, let, let's just say hypothetically. There's 40, okay, ga there's 40 games in a box. 
at ARA. Like that's what that's what, a stretch in my opinion. But okay, say, but just 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 go with me. What happens to those games? I think they get auctioned off by ARA to people that want them in the UK or wherever they are sitting right now in the Netherlands. Wow. I think they they're gonna. I think they're gonna go into the population to collectors that want to buy them in Europe. Okay. I'm sure there's plenty of people that would be willing to buy it, even if it didn't have any warranty or backup or su- customer support. So, Chris, you've seen what's happening in pinball right now, right? We've got Stern. We've got American Pinball. We've got Jersey yep. Jack. We've got um, Chicago Gaming. Probably yep, Monster they've Bash. They've come a long remake. way. They're, they're, they're cruising. What, what do you think is like – so what do you th- who do you think is going to be the real winner in 2018? Well, Stern's going to retain its title. It's not going away that quickly. But they've, they, 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 they don't really first, have a they don't have a juggernaut title in twenty eight. No, they don't need a juggernaut title. They, they, we're talking about them maintaining their position in the industry. Right. You know, Chicago Gaming has come a long way with the development of their products, with their production facilities, with their distribution, and with their titles. I think number two this year is going to be Chicago Gaming just because they're able to provide the product to the public when they want it. What title do you think it is? It's Monster Bash. <laughs> I agree. Okay, okay go it's on. Monster Bash. Okay. It, well, I mean, that's the furthest that was long based on what they were putting the resources. So, I mean, it, it, whether that it, 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 a lot of it has to do with timing, too, because remember, you know, if if when they announce it, they have to be ready to build it. Yeah, they're That's gonna the they're advantage. gonna they're gonna announce it at TPF, and it, and it will mean, be. Then they got to begin the production. They can't be sitting like, oh well, we'll have it ready for you next so, year. So, Chris, let me ask you a question. Yeah, that will, That's not gonna fly. Because you know what I heard is that Spooky Pinball is gonna and they're gonna show Alice Cooper Nightmare Castle at TPF, and the game will actually ship by the end of March. So, what do you well, think that... about? That going up against Monster Bash? Well, I I I, don't, I think I think Monster Bash is going to slam dunk it. I mean, it, come on. I mean, seriously, the number of new people that are in this hobby that are frothing at the mouth at Monster Bash right, over right. or Alice Cooper. I mean, come on. I mean, shit. I mean, that that's pretty. That's kind of like not an equal comparison. Do you think Spooky can sell five hundred Alice Coopers? The problem that I face right now is the market. It, it's it's slid because of the large gamut of available used games in the market today that a lot of the people that would have bought the game maybe two, three, four, five years ago are kind of not doing that anymore. There are a lot of people that have slowed down. There, the, 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 this... this uh, phenomena, we'll call it a phenomena, of people that are buying a game and selling it off within a few weeks. Yeah, there, there are a handful of those people, and they're on Pinside and other locations. But for the most part, people aren't doing that. Right. Okay, Operators aren't even doing that. Because they're going to hold on to that game until, of course, it gets paid off. And then they might rotate it to a new location on their routes and so on and so on. But there's a limit to how much pocket money a person has. For example, I myself just, I have an old saying, and that is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Okay? So do you think, do you think Spooky's saying, because I've, I've speculated this on this podcast, is like him saying we're going to sell 500 Alice Coopers 
Well, he's not going to get them all pre-sold. I can tell you that. No, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I just don't think like 500 people want it. Well, I, I, I'm not a marketer. You're the marketing guy. I, I'm not the marketer. I, I myself am not particularly interested in the game, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't. I'm not going to crap on the title just because I have never played it. I mean, right, it's, but, for but example, saying, like, a good example would be Houdini. I played the game, but it was in think? its pre-production. Well, I, I played it in its pre-production state last summer. Okay, I have a brand new Houdini at the Seattle Pinball Museum run by Charlie Martin, Right. And I might plan to go up this weekend and play it. And not only that, he's going to flip the boards up and we're going to open up the back box and I'm going to take a look at it and assess it. Because you know what? Maybe I want to buy one. Right. But, but I, I don't do that unless I can physically evaluate it, which I've right. always done for 30 years. So right. that goes back to my old saying that you know about me. So it, as far as what's your question on that aspect? And maybe I can get clearer. Okay, so like, look, we we both don't know if there's 500 buyers for Alice Cooper. We will no, see the game. 500 buyers. If, if, once again, you're a. I'm going to assume the aspects of it that it's it would be pre-sold before it was actually physically. Well, but here's the here, here's it, no, but here's the issue. It's like there's so many games coming out between Alice Cooper, between Deadpool, between Iron Maiden, between like. Pirates of Lots the Caribbean. Of yep. And we know that Toy Story is the next game from Jersey Jack. Like, I think more than ever, people are holding on to their money and saying, I'm not going to... buy used games. I oh, would. Yeah. That's what I, I do. I would buy used games. Look, I think... The Why would I buy a $9,000 new game when I can buy three or four used games? That Dude, makes... Or even more for EMs. That makes no sense. Chris, I, I agree. It's like you can go get a Hobbit right now for like 6500 Or on, less. Or, or less, less. On a game that was like $9,000. Nobody, I mean, if you're if you're one of the guys that's got to have the newest of the new, and there are people that are out there that are like that, or people that have the throwaway finances, and they're out there too. I I prefer, you know, for me, it's not a. I'm 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 not trying to sound snobbish, but when I buy games, for example, and and we never really got into that, we just got some of the buying, you know, techniques and stuff I did real early, like episode forty one is that I, it's that bang for the buck. And so I'm not going to buy a game unless I can evaluate it. So, for example, I won't buy a Houdini unless I'm able to physically play it on a location and evaluate it very distinctly. Right. So, you know, it, a lot of people, if, if they're willing to take this risk to drop $9,000 on a new pinball machine that might or might not be good and we, you know, might have complete code and or might not, that's not the kind of thing that I want to deal with when I collect pinball machines. That's why the lucrative nature of you, the used market is so much better because you do know what you're buying and you can get references and sources and a people's opinions readily and make an evaluated decision that makes sense. Right. Okay. No, no, no. It makes sense. I mean, so coming out of TPF, here, here are going to be the big titles. I want to, I want to ask you what you think is going to. Yeah, be I might there. even the, be there. Who knows? Maybe I'll have a beer. You should come because I'm going to be there. Like honestly, it's an old stomping ground of mine, way back in the day. Chris, back like, how much is a flight? Where, where are you at? Oh, it's I'm in, I'm in Vancouver, Washington. It's not that bad. I get on a flight from Portland. I can be there direct within about yeah. 
four hours or less. Yeah, for like what, like two hundred fifty bucks? I don't know. I don't know what the uh, prices are lately, but it's not bad. Okay, here's. I'm gonna so. make you an offer. I will pay for your flight. <laughs> I, I, I just said it on this podcast. I will, <laughs> I will pay for your flight to come out there. Well, I don't think that's necessary. And, but but, but here's the thing. Here's the only thing I ask of you when you arrive. You have to punch Ryan C from head to head pinball in the dick when you get there. <laughs> I can't just kind of like use my foot. <laughs> yeah, you you can keep kick hands him in, off. You, you can kick him in the nuts too. Okay, so let me <laughs> let me give you like the 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 lay of the land for 2018. So here are the games, and I want to ask you like, what do you think of all these titles is going to be the home run? Okay, so we got this. Here here are the games. We have Houdini Pinball. We have Batman 66, which is finally getting like decent code. We have. Um... Are they still building that game, by the way? Oh yeah, they're okay. still building that, it. That's important, relevant for the premium. We have Iron Maiden coming out. We have Deadpool. We have Pirates of the Caribbean. We have P3. We have Monster Bash remake. Out of those, like. I think volume alien, sales. alien, alien. Are which are you asking about volume sales, well, right? What do you think is going to be the one that like people just like gravitate toward? Volume sales will probably be Monster Bash. I agree. I think that because it, I think it, it's going to crush ones, it. You're talking about limited numbers of games. I mean, how many games of Houdini are they going to be able to produce within that period? How many aliens? I mean, but there aren't any Batman. But at the end of the day, it's like, how is how is Houdini going to be more desirable than Monster Bash? It Which won't is- matter. It, it doesn't matter because the problem is, is I don't think they're going to be able to produce enough games to to combat the equity equivalency of how many Monster Bashes they can do. So let's talk about that because I think American Pinball, I've said this all along in my podcast, like their production is so slow. And the window... Well, they have a small crew, though. It goes back to what I said before. You know, we talked about facilities. We talked about how do you build a pinball machine. I talked about how things are separated into different component parts of, of a company. And that tail end is great. You've got a design. You've got engineers you've got the people to make it work you've made the designs you even got the contractors and you got the parts who's building the game okay but how much smaller are they than american pinball i mean Ooh, how much i mean she- sorry how much smaller is american pinball than chicago gaming are they much smaller well here's the difference between american pinball and chicago gaming chicago gaming is using an outsource who's out to who there, I, from what I know, they have additional production facilities that they're using to help put together some of their component parts of their games other than the actually in-house. So okay. some things were okay. able to be partially assembled before they arrive. That speeds along the process. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to produce as many Attack from Mars remakes as they were in such a short amount of time. They did a pretty good job in regards to efficiency. Okay. I give credit. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, I, no, like I've said it. Now, I think I'm, I think, pinball is one facility. I mean, everything they're doing is in house. It's that one facility. All right. The parts come in, they put them on the line, they build the games, they ship them out. All right. Chris, okay. Let me, there's. Let me ask yeah. you the, the most important question tonight. What's sure. A be, what's a better theme, Oktoberfest or Big Trouble in Little China? 
Uh, well, okay. I, I don't know if I'd like, to be really honest, I don't really like either one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. You want an honesty. I'm giving you honesty. I want honesty. I but, really well, okay. But between those, between those me. two, between those two, you have to pick one or the other. Well, I mean, if I had to choose between a movie and, and the drinking game, I'm going to choose probably a movie. I mean, thank you. Just because it, it, I mean, I'm not trying to side with you, but you I just did. Look, I don't. I don't get this whole marketing themes or, or integration aspects sometimes of people's good idea theories. I mean, I got the whole Bible adventure thing with Ben Heck. I mean, that, I, that made sense to me because I could see how it could play out with different modes and stuff. But drinking games and stuff, I mean... Wait, it, wait, wait. Uh, so you're saying Bible Adventures is a better theme than Big Trouble Damn right it China. is. At least it has what more the hell does it mean, Bible from? Adventures? Like... Is it Ten Commandments? The whole Bible? No, no, no. It's the whole Bible. You wouldn't just do the Ten Commandments. Oh my God! You, you could you could do all sorts of things, just like Ben Heck said. But once again, I'm not saying it would appeal to everybody in the masses. But if you want to talk about things that appeal to the masses, talk about Supreme. Yeah. So okay, let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> that was pretty. So I thought that was I thought that was genius. I thought that was genius on Stern's part, and people complained about it on Pinside. What are your oh, thoughts? Oh, they they don't. It, you're not looking at. You know, if you look at it from the wrong set of glasses, you're always going to be a negative, you know, naughty nanny. And and it's it's unfortunate because I applauded when George Gomez put put that up on Facebook, yep. and I saw it for the first time. That's I thought great. this is a great marketing idea. It, there's no major. I mean, whatever people that might feel threatened by this. By I, I love. There were some comments that were. I, I did catch that one because I actually posted in that thread. I came on the pin side first time in like two months, um, and it, I thought it was interesting that people th were threatened. They felt threatened that a new group of people buy. We're talking about buyers. Um, would would actually feel that they the the market in pinball was the hobby was threatened by people that would buy a supreme pinball machine. I thought that was hilarious because I already knew that the number that that Stern was going to make was tiny, tiny, small, and there is no major impact towards collecting aspects of pinball for the masses. By those particularly, if they say there's 12 machines, which but, is what but, was reported. It, yeah, but, is, so is it only 12? Well, that's what they reported, but I don't, they, I mean, this is like anything else. Stern could say there could be 12, then they make 24, 36, 48, whatever the hell they make. But the, the reality is, is whatever price point that they put on it isn't going to necessarily affect everything simultaneously. It's not, it doesn't work like that. The but used market's but, but, not going to just but, shoot but up. Who's threatened by that game? I only the people that are threatened by it are people that are collectors that want to be snobbish in their own right. I don't collect pinball machines for the same aspects that other people do. I wouldn't buy a Supreme machine, for example, because I think the artwork package is horrible. Terrible. I mean, it's I mean it's a retheme of Spider-Man home pin with some additional features added in in a full-size cabinet. Look, I I, I get it. But from my standpoint with Stern is you go for it because if it works, it's not Costco. It's a completely new market. And if it works, good for them because it keeps exposure for pinball alive in the modern age. It I does. agree. I think it does nothing wrong for pinball. It's not going to hurt Monster Bash Remake. 
aren't the same people that are buying the game. I agree. I totally agree. All right, Chris. Well, look. Here, here's the deal. We're up on an hour. This has been a great discussion. Um, you're gonna you come back on. Marbles? I'm I'm you eating marbles? I'm eating an, a bacon egg and cheese sandwich right now at like. Oh, yummy yum. Yeah, best sandwich ever. Um, but look, I appreciate. High fat. I I <laughs> I appreciate the commentary. I think it's very sound. I agree that. The Supreme Stern partnership is incredible. I agree that, like, look, Deep Root, they have a lot to prove. They've they've made some bold statements. I I think saying Stern is going to find it hard to compete with them is an idiotic statement. Well, time will tell, but... No, but, I, but but Chris, they've not. Stern is ninety two percent of the market. That, that's like they're not they're not concerned about them. They're, that, I wouldn't be. But that's like me. That's like me creating a beer today and saying Budweiser should worry about me. Like no, Stern is not worried about anybody. Well, I mean, they 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 could be in the future, but there's so much work that needs to be done presently. I, I mean, they've got a they've got a two year lead. Before they even have to worry about these guys. All right, let me ask you a question. Who do you think has the greatest potential to actually impact Stern sales? Greatest? Oh, that's easy. It's Chicago Gaming. Because they have, the, they have the ability based on a reference title listing. They, 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 they can make hits. They can. They, they can make any hit they want as long as they have the, the rights to it to do it. I mean... I'm not saying I'm going to go out and buy a Big Bang bar from them, but at this point, because they continue to raise their quality and they continue to provide good... I mean, I'm, I'm not a shill for anybody. I, I'm a collector. I collect games because I want a game. That's it. Right. I don't do it because of status symbols. I don't do it to show it off. I don't sh do that on pin side. I don't give a shit. I've been doing this for so long. A game is a game is a game. I want it because I want it because I like to play it. And right. I, and I, or I enjoy the artwork. I mean, if you didn't see it on Facebook, I bought, even though you didn't particularly like it, not, you don't have to you know, agree with me, but I bought one of the limited edition prototype King pudding back glasses to support Circus Maximus. And you know what? Wait, wait, Why wait, wait, those, those new artwork ones? Yeah. What, you think you like that art package? I do, because it's Dave Christensen. I like Dave Christensen. It looks like a freaking Times Square menu from, like, a Applebee's. It's very iconic from my opinion, <laughs> standpoint it. in comparison to games All like right. Captain so, Fantastic. So let me ask you a question. Is, King, is Kingpin being remade? Is this happening? Yes. yes it's Are already you... prototyped. What Have about the, not what about the time? What about Time Shock? You are in on that. Is that happening? That one has been very quiet and dead for a very long time. I don't know what progress they've made on it. Now, I can tell you for a fact that Kingping, on the other hand, they have prototyped it. That thing I, is working. I, I, saw, I saw the video. It, you should. I mean, most people should try to go find that video because it's pretty far along. And I'm pretty impressed that they've already been able to sample prototype that game. Now, as far as, but as, far as Time Shock's concerned, I'm not saying it's a dead project. But it's a pet project. It's not okay. one of those things that they're, you know, it's it's not one of the times they're not trying to actively become a, you know, a pinball company to build this game at a rapid pace. I mean, okay. it's been almost okay. five years. But Kingpin, 
It, when is that going to be remade? Are they are they even going to? No, figure it's out... not right to be remade because once again they just started the sam- they have a sample prototype. That doesn't mean they have the ability to build it. We already know that. We just talked about all that stuff for an hour. I mean, they don't have the all those pieces of the puzzle in place to be able to build it in mass. Okay, well, let me ask you a question. If you were going to remake Kingpin, how many would you make in volume to keep it special? Probably less than a hundred. But that, I, that's I agree. But that, honestly that that's based on on their reaching capabilities from a company that isn't really a company but a group of individuals. They're all collectors like me. Most of them know me, and I know them. And these people, a lot of them, have been making parts like James Laughlin, or our collectors like Paul Kiefer or Al Warner. And these people have been integral with the pinball hobby for longer than many people on pin side. Right. And have the experience from the standpoint as a collector and enthusiast, but once again, taking it to that next bar step, which is producing a game, is completely different. And it's not. It, it, I, I hope one thing that was helpful for people that were listening tonight was I helped describe what was called is making pinball is hard. It. I described what aspects of it that make it hard. Not right. just it's hard because hard doesn't tell you anything. If you're running a pinball company, you say making pinball is hard, but you don't describe any of the processes that I just talked about, then what are you doing? Do you right. really know what you're doing? I mean, I, I it, right. you got to question that. And honestly, from any person that is interested in buying a new pinball machine from a new company should be asking themselves that question. And that is, for example, the reason why I have to evaluate Houdini. What is the longevity for them to be able to provide quality customer service? What are the board designs? How is it going to work? I mean, you figured out some of this, unfortunately, the hard way when you bought your Magic Girl. Right. You did. And now you're not going to make that mistake again, at least. No, I I sold it. I sold it. I'm out. Uh, like I agree, I think it, that lessons with, have to be learned the hard way because I tell you the truth, I don't see any other way that people learn, and I that agree. includes people getting burned repeatedly in some have, cases until they get you, smart. You, you have, and to I don't have any. And I unfortunately I don't have any sympathy for people that don't take the steps to try to protect themselves because it. Some of it isn't common sense. I'm here to tell you, it's not necessarily common sense. Some things may be, but it, it helps. I'm going to say it again and say it for the masses. One thing that is definitely beneficial is if you're going to buy a pinball machine, whether you're going to buy a new pinball machine or a used pinball machine, find somebody that has done it before and use them as a guide. Right. And right. you will never get burned, ever, because they will help you. I mean, for example, one of the simplest steps that I tell people, and we've talked about things like invoices, how about just picking up the phone? If a person does not want to talk to you on the phone, are you still going to buy the machine? Some people would. Well, that's an unnecessary risk from my standpoint. And that goes with companies, too. Are you really willing to take a risk on a company that hasn't proven themselves? Or are you going to take take your time, take a step back, Evaluate because there's no rush. There's well, we, look, no we, 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 machine in this world that you need to rush to buy. No, no and no. we we see it all the time where people are like, "Well, Highway Pinball hasn't responded to my email in weeks." It's like that. 
a reason why well, you should not buy. Well, I, I look at it in its big scope of thing. You've talked about it before, and I, if you stick to your guns that you have, is that if if it's a toy, you know, we all know this is a toy. We know it's a luxury item. So if the, if you have that centric focus in your mindset, then you shouldn't be rushing out to buy it because it's not a necessity of life. I that doesn't mean it's not fun. I've got, you know how many, I got a shit ton of games in my house. So, I mean, and people go, why do you have that many games? I mean, that's insane. But the reality is I do it because I enjoy it. Unfortunately, I'm able to take a step back and not try to prevent myself from getting burned out because I don't right. want to get burned out again. It's too right. easy. No, it's too we're easy. not, we're not going to burn you out, Chris. And we are actually going to say thank you for yep, joining us on a Friday night to talk about pinball and I appreciate it. And I look forward to coming back on the show. Uh, your wisdom is always uber appreciated by my listener base. So Chris, thank you so much for joining Canada's pinball podcast. You're very welcome. I hope everyone is able to find that Holy grail machine that they're looking for. Oh man, they are. It's, it's called retro atomic zombie adventure land. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Keep your fingers crossed. <laughs> it's coming. Right. It's coming. Nice. Take All right, care. Chris, thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Welcome to my house. It's my house. <laughs>